We have been in a series looking at the gospel of Jesus Christ and looking at the scriptures as to what it is. And we looked at man's response to the gospel. But the last couple weeks, we took a little bit of a turn and we've been zeroing in on what I call the fruit of the gospel, the results of the work of Christ on the cross and how it impacts us in a really a a quite profound way. You see, when the gospel takes root in our hearts, there is this new reality that we must embrace. So if you're a person who's been born again, and and that phrase comes from John chapter 3, if you know you are a disciple of Christ, do you realize that God the Father now views you differently? He looks at you in a new way. You have a new identity. And it's an identity that the mind must believe and the heart must embrace. And there's a number of pictures in Scripture that define this new identity for us as well. And you go, why is it so important? Because here's, here's just to pause a second, here's what people keep thinking. Salvation just, just keeps me from God's wrath. Salvation just keeps me out of hell and earns a ticket to heaven. And I go, if that's all you believe, you're missing out on so much. Two weeks ago, we jumped into and looked at 1 Peter chapter 2 because it reveals a, a picture to our identity in Christ. And, and it says this, we are living stones and we're being built up into a house together collectively of people, living stones. And Ephesians 2 says this, where God dwells. Profound statement in that. And then he looks at us differently because of this. And in that passage, it calls us this. We now are royal priests, holy priests. We're chosen people. We're his people. And then that passage also reveals a new purpose for us. And it says this, because you are living stones, you are now called called to cry out the excellencies of God. It's to make God bigger. That's our purpose, to make God famous. God wants this world to know his love, wants this world to know his Savior and what's been offered through the cross. But last week, there was another picture we looked at. And it's biblical language that at times I don't think we quite understand and grasp. And it's this idea that that he is raising up a bride. That if you know Christ as your Savior, you are now a bride. And he's preparing us, he's making us more beautiful for this future wedding, this future relationship. And it is such a rich picture. And matter of fact, when you go back to John 17, I'm not going to get into it, but there's this this truth there that it says this, that God decided to give his son a gift before creation began. And that gift was going to be a bride. And and you understand, the cross had to take place because he wanted to make that bride beautiful. And so sin had to get dealt with. Death had to get conquered because he needed a bride that was going to be beautiful and fitting for his son, worthy for his son that he loved so much. See, do we we really understand our identity as a bride? 
and a deep, intimate relationship. But if you know Christ, there's another way that God views you as well. And that's what we want to dig in this morning. Romans chapter 8, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. But today, again, there's another reality connected to the resurrection of our Savior. But there's a reality, again, of another piece to this new identity that we now have. And it forces us to look and stop and ponder. And I think this reality needs to drive us to a point of awe and wonder at God's plan of salvation. But before I talk about this new identity, I want to remind you of some biblical terms that really talk about a person before they embrace Christ. So I think there was, a, there was a moment for me, you understand, where I didn't know Christ as my Lord and Savior. But look at some of the terms on the screen, what it, what it gives a snapshot of who we are before we come to Christ. In Romans 6, it says this, you are a slave to sin. Isaiah 43, you're spiritually blind. Acts 28, I had a dull heart. I was a prisoner of sin. I was in darkness. I had blinders on. And I was spiritually dead. See, all of these terms were telling me that I wasn't in Christ. I didn't have a relationship with Him. I was separated from God. And the cross that we celebrate today worked. I should have done this but to put an X over all of those things. When the gospel was embedded into my heart, when I received Christ as my Savior, all of those terms, the opposite, took place. That's what we celebrate today. Matter of fact, I want to show you just one verse that, that uses some of these terms, but Jesus himself speaks these. Look, look at Luke chapter 14, verse 8. I have it, put it on the screen here. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He, who's He, the Father, has anointed me, this is Jesus speaking, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. Now, I understand this isn't the physical world. He did set people free and, and He did heal people and such. But what he's talking about, this is in the spiritual realm. To proclaim freedom for prisoners. See, before I gave my life to Christ, I was a prisoner. And I was in a prison. And, and on that, there was a little, maybe a little thing over my cell that said this. You're on death row. Doomed for eternal punishment. But let me show you a, a picture of a silhouette even here. Here's a guy sitting in a cell, despondent. But, but here's where we need to get. When we turn to him, when we recognize that he took and he paid the penalty for our sins, when we understand and admit that he has the keys to open that cell and give us spiritual freedom. And as we turn and we put our faith in him, he opens the door and he gives us new life. We're pardoned from the sin that we were trapped into. But let me show you by walking through Romans just a little bit this morning, Romans 8, there's some other consequences of that in this picture. Look at how Romans 8.1 says, 
because he's done this. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You see, when salvation comes for a person, the doors open. We're no longer prisoners. There's no longer condemnation. We're free. And that's because of the cross. He has set us free. He's given us freedom. But there's more than just freedom as well. Look at verse 9. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Now, you catch that underline, the meaning of that. The Spirit raised Christ. The Spirit was took, got that tomb opened up. Jesus is alive. And we celebrate that. But understand this. Now, because of that, we have the Spirit as well. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Now, what does it teach us? Maybe back to this illustration of a prison. It's this. The cell door is thrown open. The Holy Spirit walks into, the, into our cell and He grabs our hand and he begins to pull us out of the cell and he begins to walk with us. And he begins to help us battle and overcome sin. You realize at that point, we're no longer that lone person in the cell. We have the Spirit of God walking in us and walking with us. Now, I, I recognize that there is a challenge, and the truth be told, we do not always feel like we overcome sin. But that doesn't negate the fact that the Scriptures teach here that the Spirit is with us and that He can give us the power to deal with the sin as we walk through this world. We are now in Christ, and the Spirit is working in us. I wish we could go farther down that passage, but we won't be able today. But recognize there's another progression here. He opens the door. He gives us the Spirit. We're set free to battle sin. But there's something even much more here. And it's the important truth that Paul is looking to encourage this church that he's writing to. And it teaches us something profound as well. It gives us freedom. Matter of fact, I think this, it gives us hope. It's written so we can see ourselves differently. Look at Romans 8.12. Therefore, therefore, what's the therefore mean? It, because you have the Spirit, you've, the door's been opened, you've been set free. Dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. 
You see the freedom there. But if you live by its dictates, you will die. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. You will live. But then look at this phrase, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Again, stop here. Do we understand the magnitude of that statement? When we put our faith in Christ, he unlocks the door. The Holy Spirit comes in and gets us, walks out of there to start a life of freedom. But it doesn't stop there. He walks out of that prison and he walks off the prison property Anybody ever visited a prison? Uh, I used to play basketball on a team where we'd go into the St. Cloud Penitentiary. And, and you would walk across that and you walk out that door and you left behind you. Well, that's what's happening spiritually. And that Holy Spirit then drags you, maybe willingly, sometimes unwillingly. He, he walks across with you to the road. There's a road there. And then up the road a bit, there's a, there's a mansion. And on that man, this house, there's a huge front porch. And you know who's sitting on the porch? God the Father. God the Father's on the porch, and he welcomes you from a life that has been in the prison. And he says to you, Ken, Ed, Sandy, Marilyn, who, whatever your name is, if you know him, he's welcoming you, and he says this, I have adopted you. You are now my son and my daughter. You are now in my family. I am your new father. Do we understand this? See, we must stop believing that the only reason that Christ was raised from the dead was to get me out of prison, to keep me out of hell, to get me off death row. There's much more here. The cross means much more than that. Look at verse 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His children. And now we call Him Abba, Father, for His Spirit then joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of the glory. But if we share in His glory, we must also share in His suffering. Now, if you, if you use it in a more literal, you understand that this version is changed from sons to children. But it's that idea that if, you're, that if you're a male or female, you're now, if you know Christ, you now are a son and daughter of the living God, of our Heavenly Father. See, this truth that Paul speaks of here is so important for us to hold on to, to grasp the breadth and the depth and understand it and penetrate it into our souls. See, God the Father now looks at us differently. So let me put the statement, if you're taking notes, again, that, that what I wrote on the bulletin insert there, a profound truth that God has made us His children. We now have a Heavenly Father 
See, Paul is leading us step by step to understand our new identity through his son, Jesus Christ. And the more that we understand this identity, that salvation has made us his children, the more we believe it, embrace it, put it deep into our minds and into our souls and hearts, if we believe it to be true, the more quickly we begin to act like his children. See, Paul understood the human psyche here. If one doesn't believe you're a child of God, really believe it, you'll never act like a child of God, of the Father. Do you catch that? But look at put a couple more verses, 14 and 15. Now, Paul uses a term here, never used in Scripture. You'll see this called Abba, which means daddy. But look how it reads. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons or the children of God. For you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear, but you receive the Spirit who makes you sons and daughters. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now here's where I just need to pause one second. Many people in this world believe that everyone is a child of God. And if Paul and Jesus were to come into this place today, they would stand up and tell you, absolutely not. Yes, we're created by God in that universal sense. We're creatures of God's natural birth. But the scriptures clearly teach that there are two groups of people in this world, on this planet. One, there's children in God's family, but the second group is those that are not children of God. They're not in his family. They're still in prison. There's no sort of child of, no sort of, child of God. There's no in-between thing. But those, if you've been born by the Spirit, you've responded by embracing Christ as your Lord and Savior through faith, you are children of God. You have a new father. But let me give you some application from this text this morning, just to dig a little bit there. Number one, for your notes, I said it this way. His children, we still struggle with sin. But because we are a son and daughter of the living Father, there's help from the Holy Spirit, there's power to overcome evil, but there's still struggles that go on within us. I think we have to admit that. And there's a times when we as children, we will actually be overcome by sin. But hear me, if you are his child, you will never be ultimately defeated. It cannot happen. Because once you're declared children by the living God, by, through the Holy Spirit, you are his it's why Paul can say in Romans 6.14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. But let, let me give you an illustration. It's kind of a hard one. A number of years ago, I had to do a funeral of a young man who committed suicide. And, and I suspect that there's probably people here that have been impacted by that, um, that issue. But there are also people, when they look at suicide, some tend to view it this as this is an unpardonable sin. 
But folks, this is the reality. If you are a child of God and somebody, if they're this 19-year-old boy, I really believe that he was a child of God. And yes, he did a very selfish act. But I believe this, he couldn't unadopt himself. God was the one who held on to him. No matter what sin we committed, you just can't stop and unadopt yourself from God. See, when adoption takes place, when we're born again, nothing can change that. That's a reality that we must realize and understand. Now, we can kick and scream and rebel. But when we do that, what we're actually doing, I think, is we're opening ourselves up to God's discipline. Uh, you go to Hebrews 12, and you'll find that there's, we have a father who disciplines. Why? Because he loves us. But there's another piece here as well i got to point out. Look at verse 15. Such a powerful verse. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, children, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That underlying phrase there, we don't have to fall back into fear. Number two, the Father wants us to be free of fear. It paralyzes our walk. See, because of the cross, we become sons and daughters and we no longer have to allow fear to rule our lives. When things don't go like we want, when things are turned upside down, because we are His children, something can be different. And I'm going to invite Sandy Harling up because God has worked in her life and even when things don't go quite as you plan, we see that we have a, a good God. Sandy? Recently, <clears throat> Pastor Ken asked for volunteers to give their testimony or to share how God has been working in their lives. I felt a nudge to share a recent experience of God's <clears throat> presence in my life, so here I am. I truly believe this was a gentle reminder that God, my Father, is in control of my life and that I need not fear. A little background on me. I came to know Christ at a, as my Savior at a young age, probably around 10 or so. I was blessed to grow up in a Christian family and regularly attended church, youth group, and other worship services. I do have to say that I've always felt loved, protected, and hugely blessed by God. My husband Brian and I have been a have been attending here at E-Free for about three years now and joined about this time last year. When we went through the membership class, we completed spiritual gifts assessments, and mine showed that one of my gifts was serving, which was a great discovery for me. In this past year, I've been challenged by Pastor Ken and his messages and have been praying for God to make my life more useful. I'm not sure if this is what spurred on what I'm about to describe or not. Last fall, I went through a difficult experience, something that I didn't think would ever happen to me. <clears throat> I've been in the working world for about 35 years, the past 23 working for the same employer. In that organization, I started out in the accounting department doing payroll. I really loved my position there, enjoyed making people smile by correctly paying them, <laughs> as, well, as well as the black and whiteness of crunching numbers and making things balance. I worked there for about 14 years, then I moved to Human Resources. When I moved there, I really loved that position, and I found that it was kind of a ministry position of sorts for me. 
I found that I was able to help or serve people every day in this position, whether it was dealing with the public, helping employees and managers with their requests, or encouraging employees. I tried to improve people's days through smiling, friendly interaction and sincerely attempting to assist them when they entered my office. Many people over the years have expressed their gratitude for my help to them. Late one afternoon, my manager told me that after much thought, the decision had been made to reorganize our department and unfortunately that my position was going to be eliminated. I was given a choice either to remain in the organization in a different position or I could leave with a severance package. I was just devastated by this news, and I, like I said, I never thought it would happen to me. I understand that people have lost their jobs and have survived, so what happened really wasn't that unusual, but I just didn't understand why it was happening to me. We've all heard that our jobs or our careers don't define who we really are, but the reality is, is that they kind of do. I certainly felt that way anyway. I was extremely sad to know that the great job, at least in my mind, I had been doing for the past nine years was no longer needed nor appreciated. I also experienced many other feelings, anger, embarrassment, fear, and then the one that really took me by surprise was relief. It was at that time that I knew God had my back, and for some reason this was not going to be a bad thing, but instead just a bump in the road. I was going to be just fine. In fact, at that point, I was very much at peace and really looking forward to what God, to see what direction he was going to steer me in. After a couple days and much thought and prayer, I decided that I would leave the organization and see what God had in mind for me. I remained working in that position for another month, and it was during that time that I received countless warm fuzzies from employees. Um, and yeah, from the staff. It was truly a time of great blessing for me. So how did this all end up? God, and I know it was him, created a brand new human resources position in a smaller organization in town that was experiencing growth and needed somebody with my exact skill set. I ended up being out of work for only one week. In fact, <laughs> it seemed like forever. Um, I had two job offers and had to pick one of them. So um, I know job loss is a very fearful thing to many in the working world, including myself, and I never, ever would have dreamed that the word blessing so accurately described my job layoff. God is good all the time. Sandy could have succumbed to fear, but guess what? She had a good gracious and caring father who was looking out for her. Now, oftentimes we want God to take away the hard things. That's where we look at him, and even the father, we just say, take those away. But that's not what he promised. He said, I will be with you. And sometimes he even provides more than we need or understand. But there's another point here for this morning that we've got to dig into a bit. Number three in your insert there, I said it this way, our Heavenly Father stirs us and invites us to come to Him with confidence. Do we really believe that? Look at verse 15. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, children, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, 
This verse is about a new identity. That word Abba again means daddy. See, the picture is, this is about crossing the road, getting out of prison, recognizing, moving to that place where our father is not this stern dad waiting to punish us, especially for the sin that we committed while we were in prison. No, this is about at times even we, we play in the yard and away from him and he still keeps inviting us to come to him. Even when we're doing some of those things we shouldn't. And we can run up those steps into that, onto that porch and he can take away the fear and the hopelessness of our lives. We run toward his presence knowing that he is a father that loves us A father who is life-giving. He's not shaking some stick at us, ready to beat us. Now, again, I recognize that some of you have had dads where you have feared approaching your father when you did something wrong or wanted to talk or get to know. But that is not our Heavenly Father. I have a grandson and granddaughter real young in Sacramento area, and we Skype every once in a while. And the, the, what the term that they use for me is they call me Papa Ken. Okay, And, and once in a while, Deanna will be on the screen there and the computer on the Skyping there, and, and I won't be quite close enough where they see, and, they, and they're asking, where's Papa Ken? Where's Papa Ken? And, and then I get around and they see me, and they go, ah, Papa Ken, you know. Somebody's actually happy to see me. It's really kind of nice. But you know what it does for the soul? When I hear my grandchildren say that to me, it makes my heart want to hug them. But see, do you know that our Heavenly Father, and when we can come to Him and go, Papa Kent, He enjoys it. He invites us to that. Now, some have taken offense at this idea that this is way too relational. But I go, I think that's nonsense. God is the one that decides how we should address Him. And Paul tells us that we can come to God as Abba. Abba Father, Daddy Father, by the Spirit. And I go, by the Spirit, what does that mean? And I think a couple pieces there. First, I think the Spirit is changing our hearts so that we want to be His children. We're embracing Him more and more. And we need His help. Now, this is also true, just to remind you, that rebellious children aren't usually looking for that kind of a relationship with their father. But second, it means this, is that it's only by the Spirit that we can embrace Him as Dad. It's the Spirit that drives away fear and it allows us to crawl up in His lap and take comfort there. Now, it's not that God isn't still fearsome. He's the same God whose wrath we escaped when we were saved. But our relationship with Him has changed And so our feelings and our affections toward him must also change. Let me ask you a question. 
do you feel? Do you feel like a child of the Heavenly Father? Have, have you ever run up on the porch and you jumped into His arms and felt His love and His presence? Or maybe you're one who's been let out of the prison, the Holy Spirit has taken you out, and, and you kind of try to keep pulling in the other direction, and you're still maybe even in that prison yard trying to do your own thing, but he's inviting you to go across the road, run up to that porch, jump up there, and he wants to embrace you. Don't resist the Holy Spirit pulling you there. Now again, I, I realize that some of our dads warped us and we kind of go, okay, God, it's Father. No, I'm going to keep you away. Some dads suck the life out of us in the relational world where we don't trust people and don't surely don't trust God as Father. But that, that's a lie. He's a good, loving Father. But then there's another, I think, reality in this room. There might be people here today who are still in a spiritual prison and you've never really humbled yourself before Jesus. You've never acknowledged that he died for you and that, that he's inviting you to come and walk out of the cell, but you've said, I don't want to. You've resisted. And my appeal to you is Jesus is there inviting you to turn and give your life to him. He wants to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit to walk out of that cell, cross that road, run to that mansion, run up on the porch, and meet the Father. So my question, would you be willing to give your heart to Jesus? He wants to open the door of that cell and take you to a whole different place. But if you know him today, if you know you're born again, Easter must be so much more of just Jesus coming out of the tomb. Yes, we celebrate that, but the meaning goes way beyond that. He has made us a son and a daughter. He's adopted us. He's inviting us into the presence of the Father. He's making us a bride. And he waits for us. He doesn't drag us up on that porch. I think we're dragging the Holy Spirit around too often is what we're really doing. But he wants us to know him. And folks, we, we celebrate Easter. And if the work of the cross wouldn't have taken place, we would never be out of prison. But that work of the cross is so much more than just saving us from hell. We actually can be a child of a Heavenly Father. We need to respond, but let me just pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And we just want to sing and give praise to God for the work that He's done, for the work of the cross that set us free. So let's pray this morning. Amen.